Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk, where we are wondering which Ohio State player we will hire first to do our Buckeye Talk commercial. We already have a question about that from our loyal Buckeye Talk listeners. Doug Lay Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. This is our name, image, and likeness podcast. We're going to make it interesting. I think there is a variety of uh, opinions out there about how much you guys care about this stuff. But big news came down Wednesday. The NCAA will propose that a, a working group will propose that, that players can make money off name, image, and likeness. They'll vote on it in January. If it's passed, it'll go to, into effect for the 2021-22 season. Um, Nathan, you were on the conference call um, with Gene Smith and Michael Drake and the president of the NCAA, Ohio State sort of at the forefront of this stuff, that aspect of it, so that people understand this, that Gene Smith and Michael Drake were kind of the spokespeople on behalf of all the um, NCAA schools out there. What about that aspect of it? What did, you, did you find that interesting that Ohio State is basically the point school on this discussion? Yeah, so there were basically four people involved yesterday, and that was uh, Mark Emmert, who is the um, – He's the boss. NCAA president. Um, and then Michael Drake, who serves on the NCAA's board of governors, they were the ones who were formally making this recommendation to each of the three divisions of the NCAA. There are some, <laughs> there are some ways that they have to formally say these things. but So basically the board of governors is telling the NCAA at large, hey, this is what we need to do. And then they're basing that recommendation off of a report, a 29, I think it was, page report, um, that was posted yesterday that was de- de- um, created by a working group about the name, image, and likeness uh, issue on which there are two co-chairs. One was Big East President Val Ackerman, and, or uh, commissioner, I should say, and one is Ohio State Athletic Director Gene Smith. And when he uh, had kind of that impromptu press conference last fall on the day, I think, day or day after California um, started introducing its legislation about NIL stuff. He was up there speaking, not just as Ohio State's athletic director, but also kind of as the representative for uh, that working group and kind of talking about his, you know, he had just been in Atlanta doing some work on that and, and what they were doing. So yeah, Ohio State had had 50% of the voices in yesterday's call. They've had substantial 
input in what this next thing is going to look like. I don't think that necessarily means that they um, that there's some sort of slant towards Ohio State and how this is going to turn out because I think Ohio State was already positioned well, as you wrote about, other people have written about, already positioned well to to capitalize on this new era that we're about to, to step into. But I think it is interesting that it means that the Big Ten had representation from its kind of flagship athletic program right now, at least in terms of football. And that in the, terms the greater, of everything, in terms of everything, the Big right. Ten wouldn't exist if Ohio State wasn't in it. Very true. I'm just saying that there are, yeah, I'm just saying in terms of, of football, especially Ohio State carries more oxygen, takes up more oxygen than any other Big Ten program. And so that's important because that at the end of the day is what so much of this is based on. It's it's what is this going to look like for football? I think even so more so than basketball, I think, you know, football is a, a sport that's going to be vastly potentially affected by this new uh, era that we're walking into. Okay, here we go. We're, get, we're, we're getting rid of all the boilerplate stuff. Th- that's the baseline for you guys. We're going to talk about how people are going to abuse it. Schools are already worried about this. Here's the freaking deal on this. Ohio State would do this yesterday because Ohio State, this is a boondoggle for Ohio State. This is perfect for Ohio State. But they've been dragging their feet. And, and I'm going to correct you on something, Nathan. When, when Gene had that press conference with us, Last year, you said he was up there not only as the Ohio State Athletic Director, but as the co-chair of this group. He was up there only as the co-chair of the NCAA because he's he's dragging his feet. Ohio State on this is doing what's best for the NCAA, which is drag their feet, drag their feet, know that they're being pushed into this, but they're going to hold everybody off as long as possible. But as soon as it happens, no school is going to benefit more than Ohio State. So Gene and Drake want this immediately, personally, but they understand that it's complicated for other people, and it's complicated potentially because of abuse, and I find this interesting. I already talked to somebody at Ohio State, and they brought this up yesterday. How could schools abuse it? A question from the 937. What kind of measures do you foresee to prevent an oil tycoon booster at Oklahoma State from, pro- from po- promising to pay players, from promising to pay players, one million to do commercials. Heck, maybe they should be allowed to do that if the booster is willing to pay. I just don't see the NCAA allowing that. Question number two from the 941. How will the NCAA differentiate between a kid endorsing a product for pay, a legitimate deal that's allowed, and an endorsement deal facilitated by a booster? Gray area and open for arbitrary decision-making by NCAA enforcement staff. Number three from the 517, so a booster can pay $30,000 for an autograph, or are these things going to be monitored? This is where it's crazy and different than everything else. Nathan, baseline, what do we think at the moment, right? This is where there is a lot of gray area, and I already saw people griping. I have some rants on this stuff. Uh, the, the way people cover this is so narrow-minded and stupid. It is like everything else. People can't see more than a foot in front of their face. I'm like, well, this is the thing that happened today. Let me freak out about the thing that happened today. This is all on a continuum. This is all on a march to something. What happened Wednesday is not the end of this. It's a step. But, Nathan, right now, the idea of how will this be limited, monitored, or not limited and monitored in regard to the questions these people asked. So that's the thing. I mean, there's still a lot of gray area that has not been completely resolved. And, and everybody on that call yesterday and in the report, that's 
woven into this, that they're, they still feel like there's a lot of conversations that need to take place, especially as it comes to oversight and accountability and preventing those kinds of things, trying to, to put in safeguards to protect against certain things. Now, they are trying to already kind of build some of that in. They're saying, for instance, that um, an endorsement needs to be based on fair market value. That's obviously a kind of a moving target, depending on who you ask, and is probably going to lead to a lot of discussions and complaints and maybe even litigation at some point. Um, but they're trying to let, I think, those things kind of come about on a case-by-case basis and address each one of those as it comes rather than kind of come up with these blanket prohibitions from the beginning that cause more problems than they solve. And I think the other thing that is probably going to end up happening here, and it's already, again, something that they've mentioned in the report and something the Board of Governors has put out there, is that a, a third party of some kind, and I assume it'll just end up being the NCAA or, or some arm of the NCAA, but some third party will be involved such that when an athlete an athlete has to disclose these um, agreements to their athletic department. And if you have a third party that's involved overseeing, kind of taking that report, they're the ones who get to decide, is this legitimate? What ties does that business have to the school? Those sorts of things. So I think you're going to probably see some of that. Um, but again, those are among the many specifics that have not actually been laid out in stone yet. Which is no different than what coaches do. Coaches have to report to their schools any outside money they make. So, um, you know, if Ryan Day has an endorsement deal with somebody, he has to tell Ohio State what it is and how much he's making. So the players would only be doing what the coaches also have to do there. Steven, should it be limited? Or if Booster X wants to pay a million dollars for a player's autograph, should that be allowed? Or do there need to be guidelines? There probably needs to be guidelines because let's just take Ohio State for an instance. What they're going to be able to give a player, the majority of like the Ohio State's quarterback is going to be able to get things and levels of endorsements that Penn State's quarterback is just not going to get because one, Ohio State's a better football program and they've built a, big, a bigger brand. So to your point, Justin Fields might get, you know, $2 million for to show up in a random used car commercial ad, which is a ridiculous amount of money for anybody to make for a used car commercial ad, while Penn State or Minnesota's quarterback would only get, you know, $1,500 for that same exact ad. So there probably does need to be some type of, you know, cap on, you know, what a player can make for a certain endorsement for the sake of things not getting out of hand. Okay. I got, I have so many thoughts on this. I, I think people are looking at this so wrong. And I, just a lot of the national stuff that it's been, uh, I'm certainly on the side of athletes being able to make money, but, but you, when people say, well, it can't be limited. Well, if everybody in the world can do this, then there can't be any limitations on it. It has to be a totally free market. That is so stupid and not based in reality. Because this is more complicated than anything. Because here's what's not happening. If Baker Mayfield wants to do a used car ad, there is not a guy who owns the used car lot who loves the Browns so much that he just wants to give Baker Mayfield an extra million dollars for no reason. He's a businessman. He thinks if Baker Mayfield has a brand that will help his business, make money, he will pay a market value that it, that will make Baker Mayfield want to do it, but also still make money for the business. The gray area with college football 
is people with lots of money who just want to hand over money to college athletes. And why do they want to hand it over? Because they're not making a salary somewhere else. They're trying to like, I want to be the guy that feels cool because I helped this kid. So that is where the regulation comes in. College sports is not a free market. It's a black market. And it has been a black market for 50 years, for 100 years. I don't know what they were handing out to players in 1911. But nobody is giving Baker Mayfield a $100 handshake because Baker Mayfield would be like, I don't, I, why are you giving me $100? I'm a gazillionaire. But people have been wanting to give college players $100 handshakes forever. So that's why this is different. And if you are free market or bust on this and you think that, that the, 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 the fly in the ointment here is the NCAA trying to limit things in any way, you're stupid. You're blind, you're stupid, and you don't understand how things work because the way that it's been screwed up forever has the potential to make it screwed up now. So people are bucking against the idea of fair market value, but nowhere else do you have – nobody says, well, what if an oil tycoon – and everyone's talking about Boone Pickens at Oklahoma State. He died, but maybe there's another oil tycoon. People bring up Phil Knight at Nike a lot. Nobody says, well, what if Phil Knight just wants to give, you know, Russell Wilson $20 million just because he thinks he's cool, but he demands that Russell Wilson stay with the Seahawks to get the $20 million. That's not how it works in the pros. But it might work that way in college because people are nuts about college. The kids don't make any actual salary. And everything is different. So I'm so aggravated. And this is a, a step on the march it's not perfect right now but i read too many headlines yesterday were like well the ncaa can't limit anything because you have to just if you're going to do it you have to just throw the doors open that's not realistic nathan where are we and the thing that i can't tell is this first of all i don't think any good businessman no matter how much they love their college football team is going to start handing out million dollar commercials so i think a lot of times the examples we're given are actually not going to happen all right they're actually not going to happen and I don't know if now that the kids can get some money, will there be less interest by boosters in sort of handing out money? Because it's like, well, I don't have to give them money and think that I'm being a nice guy and giving them a couple hundred bucks to get food because, like, they have endorsements now from legitimate businesses. I don't have to do that. Will that lessen itself anyway? Nathan, isn't it more complicated? And do you feel like that is going to be a problem with this, that the NCAA is going to have some trouble trying to regulate that because college sports are different. So a, a couple of points here. One, to, to address the booster issue, that's something, that, again, the working group brought up that it, it's already part of the discussions. It's why they wanted to push back decisions on this to next January because they need some time for to kind of have all of these issues kind of laid out. And then now they get discussed by people more important than us, believe it or not. And people who can actually not do something smarter. about them. Not smarter, could, though. I'm not, not I didn't smarter. say smarter. I not didn't smarter. say smarter. I didn't Put me say on the committee. But, but people who can actually – who are the decision makers on this. And one of the things they brought up was that people are worried about the influence of boosters. And I don't know if they're thinking about necessarily um, Higgins and, and Knight. But, but, Pickens. but that's Pickens. those pick, – Pickens, I'm sorry, and Knight. Um, but the, the, those are examples. So – one one thing that they brought up was that maybe they will you will have kind of an hierarchy or, or tiers of boosters so that there's a difference between you know in a lot of communities a booster 
means pretty much anybody who financially supports the athletic department into some interpretation of NCAA rules. So if you buy season tickets or if you're, if your um, car dealership has a suite at, um, at the basketball arena, you count as a booster. That's very different than what Phil Knight is where he might buy a practice facility and donate a $50 million thing to Oregon. So having tiers where different people are regulated in different ways and different people are allowed to potentially be involved in uh, compensation for athletes in different ways is one of the things that's out there. So that there, it's one of the things that is on people's minds just because they don't have an answer for it today. And I'm not, I'm not really necessarily giving the NCAA benefit of the doubt here because I think they've definitely dragged their feet and don't necessarily have, uh, they, they definitely have their own best interests at heart here too. But it, it's something that is on the table that is going to be discussed. Um, the second thing also I do think is important though, that the whole, the people who worried about kind of like widespread corruption here, the point here is that this is supposed to alleviate that. And I mentioned that, you know, people had asked us questions about, so what does this mean in a situation like with Chase Young or from last season? And the whole point is that no, that's, that wouldn't be allowed still the kind of, you know, taking a loan, taking a handout, whatever, but, you wouldn't need it anymore, right? That's the whole point is that there's supposed to be income that, so in the long run, this is supposed to, if you regulate the first part of it, then the second part of it should take care of itself, right? That this should actually alleviate some of that kind of smaller, quote unquote, smaller level corruption that happens in college sports. The, the free market ding-dongs who, who jumped all over this and acted like any regulation of this is un-American. It's like the legalization of drugs, right? Okay, so drugs are illegal, but now, okay, weed's illegal. Well, can I go buy a hundred pounds of weed? No. Can I sell weed in a, on a school playground? No. Can I go to a weed store and buy weed for me? In a lot of states, yes. Because you know what? It's regulated. There are limits. There are laws. It's now allowed, but it's not free market. Everybody do whatever they want. Gambling is, sports gambling is allowed now. Can I... Can I just open up a casino in my house with no regulation? No. You have to get a license. You have to have rules to this. The but free sorry, market idiots who jump. What? So, sorry, that's just a great example because sports gambling is not allowed everywhere. You can't gamble on sports if you're a member of an NCAA athletic department. There are you can't rules. gamble on sports if you're a coach or a player. So, so that's an example where there is an exception. We're not, you know. Where a an athlete or a coach is not allowed, and we'll just talk about the athletes now because that's what this is really about. An athlete cannot engage in the same activity that a regular college student. And I'm usually on the side of they should be able to. But here's one example where I think it's prudent that they're not because it come, does come down to the competitive fairness that you're willingly taking part in. So I, I don't think that that means there should be no compensation. I don't think you forfeit all compensation to be a part of that competitive balance, but in certain things such as gambling influences and such as just unchecked uh, flatbeds of, of hundreds showing up to your apartment for doing nothing, I, I think you are forfeiting that. So if you, if you listeners, listeners, if you have read a headline that implies that any attempt by the NCAA to regulate this at all is a problem, Write to that writer, respond to that headline on Twitter and say, Doug thinks you're an idiot because it is just a disingenuous argument. Not everything in the world is all or nothing. In fact, very little in the world is all or nothing. 
And the other part of this is, of course, this idea that landed Wednesday did not land fully formed. The NCAA is absolutely dragging its feet as much as it can on this, but it is absolutely going to happen. And if you don't understand that as a sports writer, get out. Your, your opinion is useless on this. If you are just going to rail about the, the details, the moment that there's progress, you don't understand how the world works. This is all a public negotiation, which is I wrote back in November when Gene is standing up there saying, well, if California says athletes can get paid and it's not a national rule, I guess Ohio State won't play schools from California anymore. If you wrote, oh, no, Ohio State's not going to play schools from California anymore. If you thought that was actually ever going to happen, quit because you're an idiot. It's all negotiation. The NCAA wants to go slow. Advocates for players want to go fast, and the result is somewhere in the middle. We are on the path to this. This was a big step, but it's not 100% finished. Stephen, this is the example that I find most interesting. Because I wrote this about Ohio State, that Ohio State, because it's in a big city, it is a unique position. It is a college program in a big city where there are no other pro teams that matter. No offense to the Blue Jackets, but if any business in Columbus can have a freaking goalie from Finland endorse its product or the Ohio State quarterback, it's not a competition. Say that, that legitimately nationwide insurance at its yearly um, company retreat actually finds value in paying an Ohio State player, the best Ohio State player, $100,000 to come on a Saturday in May to the company picnic and sign autographs and interact with everybody. And they put in a long eight to 10 hour day and they make a hundred grand. But this is nationwide insurance. The value that it brings to all its employees and all that thing, that is legitimate fair market value. There's no, let's say there's no business in Tuscaloosa, Alabama that would rise to that threshold where it would be fair market value to do the same thing. Should, it, should a barbecue restaurant in Alabama still be able to provide to pay a hundred thousand dollars for an Alabama player to do the same thing for its 50 employees, even though that's not fair market value in that market. That doesn't make sense to pay a hundred thousand dollars for someone to sign 50 autographs for a barbecue restaurant. It does make sense to pay a hundred thousand dollars to sign four thousand dollars, four thousand autographs at a company retreat for a fortune 500 company. What, what should be the rule there? Because if you say Columbus has more companies where fair market value would allow the Ohio State player to make that money, but Tuscaloosa doesn't, so an Alabama player can't make that money, then Ohio State has an edge. How, how do you work that, or am I just throwing an impossible situation at you, and who the heck knows how anybody would figure that out? Yeah, I don't know if that's a... I think that's no different than, you know, a professional player playing in a small market city versus a big market city where it's, there are just going to be some off the field, off the court, outside of, you know, the ice, whatever, op opportunities that are available to you that aren't going to be available to you at other places. And maybe that, that's, maybe that's where the edge comes in for a place like Ohio State in terms of recruiting is now as a high school kid, you're not just thinking about, you know, 
what campus life is like and whether or not you can win a national championship and get developed into the NFL. Maybe you are thinking about how can this school help develop my brand a little bit more than you were beforehand, where it was just like a bonus because there's opportunities that are going to be available in Columbus or, you know, LA or New York that aren't available. You know, if you play in Tuscaloosa, even if you are still having an opportunity to compete for a national championship, maybe that's, you know, that's maybe the place where, you know, I don't know if you know, that's where the, that's probably where most of this has to get figured out. Is uh, Do we want to live in a world where small market teams versus big market teams is a problem at the college level the way it is at the pro level at some time? And that's the thing. I mean, that's that, this outside endorsement money. That's part of everything, right? I mean, if you play for the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, you have to play there for a certain – they're not the Devil Rays anymore. The Tampa Bay Rays, when you're a free agent, you might want to leave Tampa because they can't pay you as much and the New York Yankees can pay you more. But also part of that equation is if you're a star in Tampa, you're not going to make as much endorsement money as you are if you're a star in New York. That If this is outside income – then opportunities to make more outside income absolutely is going to come into play here. And that has to exist on some level. I did a breakdown. You can go read the story about why I said Ohio State's going to be at such an advantage here. I looked at the top 25 recruiting classes from 2020 and the cities they are in and the size of those cities. The only two cities that were bigger, I think, than Columbus were I, I gave Stanford San Jose, even though they're in Palo Alto, San Jose is half an hour away. Um, but that's the whole Bay Area. Again, Stanford athletes are not going to be as valuable as all the t- pro athletes in the Bay Area. And then t- Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas is really the comparable thing here to Columbus. But everybody else, the University of Washington is in a big city in Seattle, but they have pro teams there. But University of Miami is in a big city. They have pro teams there. Or you look at the size of the cities that every SEC school is in. Mm-hmm. Columbus is like 13 times bigger than Greenville, South Carolina, which is the biggest city near Clemson. 13 times bigger. I think that's going to be an edge, and I think you have to live with some of that. I I don't know. I think it makes sense to say, no, a barbecue restaurant can't pay $100,000 for a guy to sign 20 autographs, but maybe nationwide insurance can. I think maybe they have to live with that. I want to get to some other topics, and we're not going super long on this because I know some of you really care about it. Some of you don't care at all. Nathan, the 619. I want to get your guys' thoughts on this. It seems like this is totally going to help take away any sort of level playing field. Not that there's been much of one in the last decade, but it's going to do what you say, help the, it'll help the rich stay rich and the smaller schools are going to struggle more. Um, I don't care about that. As the person said, it's already that way. I think this is no part of this discussion. Nathan, the rich getting richer, and what does this mean for Bowling Green? Where does that fit in this discussion? Well, as we talked about earlier this week, Bowling Green is not really in a position to compete with Ohio State anyway. It, it, I mean, the, the rich get richer. That separation is already happening, though, right? I mean, we're already, especially because of football, you're pushing those schools off into their own tier even more so than they've already been anyway. I don't know that it necessarily um, – I don't know if it changes that dynamic a lot. Um, and if, if anything, yeah, maybe it hastens it. But, again, we're already headed that way. Anyway, um, I, I just I, I think again we're talking about also the, the the as far as like the the guys getting super wealthy off of this. I think you're probably still talking about a, a relatively small handful of players every year who can do that. Um, like as far as getting like making a lot of money, and it'll be interesting to see at what point do families start making college decisions based solely on the earning potential during that four-year window or three-year window 
as opposed to what sets you up for the best thing beyond then, which is already happening, by the way, too. I mean, schools are, you know, families are sending their sons to football programs based on who's going to make them the most successful NFL quarterback, oh NFL defensive end, NFL are. running back. So that's already happening. And it's, and there's only, there are a few schools that get f- those guys funneled to them more than others. That's, they're not going to school because somebody has a good sociology program. Of course no. they're, they're going for the NFL, but that's not going to change. You're not, you're not going to pick. I can make more money during college at this, but I have a lesser chance of going to the NFL, the NFL if you want to be a pro player, it's still going to drive guys more than this, right? Because right. I mean, like so millionaires, there's not going to be a bunch of college millionaires. So Vanderbilt is in a major American city, which I believe is in a state that doesn't have an income tax. So are you going to send your quarterback to Vanderbilt over a true college football power because they might somehow earn a little bit more money while they're in college? Okay, I'm going to to cut this off. This is what the discussion is because, again, people are having – it's not about the haves and the have-nots. It's about among the haves, who has an edge? Among the middle tier, who has an edge? Among the have-nots, who has an edge? So, no, nobody's going to go to Vanderbilt instead of Alabama. They might go to Vanderbilt instead of Ole Miss. Nobody's going to go to Minnesota instead of, of Michigan, but they might go to Minnesota instead of Purdue. At every tier, the tiers aren't going to change. And I don't care what – you're in your tier. But within your tier, maybe Toledo will have a recruiting edge over Eastern Michigan, right, if Toledo's a bigger city than wherever Eastern Michigan is. So within the tiers, it might have an effect. But nobody is going to Vanderbilt over Alabama just because is – it, is it Vanderbilt in, Nash- in Nashville or Knoxville? Nashville. Nashville because Nashville is bigger than Tuscaloosa, but they might go to Vanderbilt instead of, I don't know, again, like, like middle tier or bottom tier SEC school in a small South area. Carolina. South NC Carolina is actually in a, in a decent NC state. Yeah. Right. So that's the thing, right? That's the issue. It's not going to affect tiers. It will have some influence within the tier, which is why I think it's possible that Ohio state now wins one or two more recruiting battles a year against Clemson and Alabama. I don't think it's going to be huge. And Nathan, Stephen, I want you on that from the 614. Is there a scenario where a head coach sits down with the recruit and says, hey, listen, there is no cap to how much you can make. Come to Ohio State. We will make you a star overnight, and you will make a lot more money than going somewhere else. Is there a scenario? The pitch is already written. Mark Pantone is already telling Ryan Day how to pitch that. How do you honestly think? Again, it's about within the tiers. How how would you describe what you think this might do for Ohio State recruiting, Stephen? Uh, they already brand name their recruiting classes year on year, so you're already building that brand before you even get on campus. But yes, there is a scenario where they take a guy. Hey, they look at Jack Sawyer and go, "Hey, you see what Jay Sean did last year? Now you're going to be able to do the same thing, except you're also going to be able to profit off." whatever your nickname is, whatever your, you know, the predator would would have been. But the point is, it's not that they can profit at Ohio State. It's that they can profit more at Ohio State than at Alabama or Clemson, right? And so that's, yeah, right. When they're sitting in Ryan Day's office or Mark Pantone's office, they're not just talking about the football side of things. They're talking about, listen, we can also do X, Y, and Z in a situation where even if you are an NFL-level talent at Clemson or Alabama as a defensive end, they're not going to be able to have those be able to do that for you just because look at the cities they are in versus the city that we're in and the opportunities available to us. 
I mean, this just gets folded into the circle of care, right? This gets just folded into this thing that they've been talking about that Ryan Day sits down with these families and talks to them about how they're going to take care of their son in ways that are just beyond their, their football abilities. It's about um, their academics. It's about their financial well-being. It's about their mental well-being. It's all of these things. It's just going to get full. It's just going to be another tier of that. They've probably already got a, a – textbook ready to go to hand out to the coaches to, to and maybe they've already started talking about this they've obviously got a little bit more time on their hands this offseason um i know that people at ohio state are going to say oh yeah we're that's great that we're positioned that way and people outside of ohio state are going to say well that's a really crass way and it sounds very manipulative or whatever but it's the truth that's what that's what we're at and maybe in ohio state like we've talked about like you wrote about is just a little bit ahead probably on being able to put this into play it makes a heck of a lot more sense in a recruiting pitch than whether the, the your lockers in the locker room are made out of oak or maple. I mean, there's so much stupid stuff that schools spend money on to try to entice recruits. This is an actual thing. And I'm not in the business of like being thirsty for a recruit, uh, for retweets from Ohio State people. But I, in my story, I noted how Pantone and Brian Hartline were like tweeting about this and Ohio State's advantage in this like hours after the, the news conference. And then, Pan, Pan, and then Pantone and Hartline retweeted my story, noting yeah. that they were on top of it. Like, they want everybody to know, like, yeah, we have an edge. We know we have an edge, and we're going to sell the edge. They are very upfront about that. How it's going to work from the 513, will the players be able to sign agents to help them navigate this stuff while they're in school? Um, yes. 614 is Ohio state going to have people on staff that can help compliance on this and help players get the best deals and handle finances and taxes and that kind of thing from the 803. Do you see Ohio state brokering deals for players with existing sponsors of the program, such as Kroger's and Donato's? Will the players be doing this on their own or might Kroger say, Hey, we want a player. And Ohio state then has some influence of whether they say, well, why don't you take Wyatt Davis or why don't you take Sean Wade? How is all that going to work out in facilitating this, Nathan? Yes, Ohio State. I'm trying to remember what all the questions were now because you moved through a lot of them. Well, uh, how, how much yes, will Ohio yes, okay. State facilitate? Yes. Almost be, Ohio State oh. can be a player's agent. Well, no, yes, athletes – Athletes can have agents. They can have agents to help them find these sorts of opportunities, these marketing, endorsement, sponsorship, whatever opportunities. Those agents cannot help them find professional um, sports opportunities while they're in college. Now, that's a fine line that they're going to have to walk, but that's the way that they're proposing it, that it's going to be laid out that way. So, yes, you will have agents that you can use for business-related things. You can also um, – you will you'll also be allowed to have access to – people who help you with taxes and all of that stuff. And Ohio State's compliance people will be able to help students with those, um, the compliance related things, make sure they're following the rules and be able to, I think, push them in the right direction on, on those other answers as far as, hey, how do I make sure that I'm paying my taxes? I don't think they can handle it for them. I think they can give them some guidance. They, Ohio State cannot, according to these rules that they're setting up, or any school cannot set up the endorsement opportunities. So what you're asking, what, what they're asking is a fair question. Like if, if um, whatever, you know, Rooster says, hey, we just need three football players for this ad that we're doing. I don't think Jerry Emig or somebody from, from the football uh, or athletic department can tell you, oh, well, I think it's time to give you Tommy Togiai and Tyreek Johnson 
and uh, C.J. Saunders. Those are going to be the three guys we give you this time, the way he does for interviews for us. I don't think Ohio State can have any input into who gets those financial opportunities. That's the way that I understand this. From the 330, Stephen, do you think getting some sort of cash could keep these guys that project as late-round draft picks who have remaining eligibility, will it help them stay at Ohio State for another season? Example, Jalen Marshall, who went pro, didn't get drafted. Um, Stephen, do you think this will have an effect on any guys who are on the fence with draft decisions? I don't think so because a lot of that's dependent on what the draft grade is. And if you, Jalen Marshall is a situation where you got to strike while the iron's hot. And so I don't, I don't think so. No, I think the ability to go to the NFL is going to outweigh the opportunity to make a hundred thousand dollars on some endorsements when there's a chance to make a million dollars. So the thing that is the big deal to me is, and I wrote about uh, Thursday morning about how the guys that pop to mind to me for this kind of thing are Braxton Miller, JT Barrett, Troy Smith, Cardale Jones, Ohio State quarterbacks. Ohio State has not had a quarterback make significant NFL money like ever. And they provide huge value to schools. So like maybe in the new era, it's not going to be the issue because Dwayne, I added up Troy Smith, Cardale Jones, JT Barrett, Terrell Pryor, Braxton Miller, what they made as quarterbacks in the NFL, because Braxton didn't make any money as a quarterback. And Terrell made $14 million in the NFL, but only $2 million of it was as a quarterback. Those five quarterback stars who were the starting quarterbacks at Ohio State for about 11 and a half seasons, they made a combined $5.5 million total in the NFL between the five of them. JT Barrett, and this is all on – NFL salary uh, websites, uh, overthecap.com and spotrack.com. JT Barrett's made less than $200,000 in the NFL. He won 37 games or 38 games as an Ohio State starting quarterback. So guys like that who have huge value in the moment, you can't assume that they're going to make money in the NFL. So I think this really affects guys like that. Some guys who are never going to make money in the NFL, you get a little bit here and there. But I think what people have to do is you have to separate the NFL thing and like it's just the right thing to do to allow guys to capitalize on their value in the moment because they're giving huge value to the program. So A, it's kind of the right thing to do. B, the way it's going to be play out mostly is going to be in recruiting. But again, it becomes part of the recruiting pitch, not the main recruiting pitch. Because if you are a player and you are short-sighted enough to think, well, I think I can make 50 grand at Ohio State in four years, and I can only make 20 grand at Penn State, but you actually think in every other way Penn State's better for you, you're crazy to pick Ohio State. So it's part of it. It's not all of it. From the 415 Nathan, I remember reading stories from the 60s about college football players, quote, working at local car dealerships, but really just sitting there and shaking hands with prospective buyers to help close deals. Do you think this type of thing could happen? Having an Ohio State player be on site at a company simply as a wow factor from the 415. Is that one of the ways we could see this come to, to fruition, Nathan? Um, I think that's, again, that's one of those fine lines. Like it's, you're getting basically an appearance fee just for um, you know, uh, Chase Young to sit outside of a car wash and just like wave at people. Um, but I also think that that probably fits under the umbrella of what they're talking about here, right? Like you're, you're allowed to, as long as you're not wearing Ohio State apparel, as long as you're not um, uh, in Ohio Stadium or using Ohio State facilities in some way, I think that's going to be allowed. I think it's sort of like a modeling fee, for lack of a better term. I think that's going to be allowed. Um, again, at the end of the day, this isn't necessarily about creating wealth 
for a small percentage of college athletes. It's to take the absurdity out of what you had last year with Chase Young, which is this guy is literally his value has worth right now. And yet he still has to go commit or he doesn't have to, but he did commit this violation because he needed a couple hundred dollars for this purpose. And when he could have easily gotten that in a way that would not have interrupted the competitive balance of college sports. That's what this is supposed to eradicate. This, this idea of, of, of wealth and the, these sorts of things is getting away, I think, from what the, what the actual goal of this is. All right. In conclusion, we have some more good questions. Maybe we'll sprinkle this in later, too, but we want to keep this one a little tight. Um, in the end, how much should people be worried, fans, schools, be worried about potential abuse? Stephen, we'll start with you. Is, is the abuse factor, is that at the forefront of this? Or is it like, you know what, there's abuse in everything. There might be a little bit of it, but that's a silly thing to worry about when we're doing something that probably should have been done a while ago. Where are you on the potential abuse? I'm low on the level of abuse. Like, there's going to be – someone's going to find – yes, someone's going to find a way to abuse it and, you know, walk that fine line of the rules. And that's what – that's how things will – that's how we'll get to more de- a detailed version of this and a more, you know, I guess for that way to put some more rules will be in place of what is allowed and what isn't allowed. But for the most part, when you're talking about something that should have been done years ago, I mean, the abuse of it is – a scenario where a place that clearly shouldn't be paying a kid a hundred thousand dollars to do an appearance fee is paying a kid a hundred thousand dollars. That's your level of abuse. Anything, as long as there's a, a, you know, a fair market value in all of this and the level of abuse will be pretty low. And on a, on a, go ahead. Nathan, your abuse fears. I, I have some abuse fears, but I'm also kind of waiting to see what exactly materializes as far as the oversight component of this. If they bring in a third party that's impartial that oversees this, my fears are a little alleviated a little bit. So here's how I think this is in the end how it's going to work, right? So all the players have to report what they're getting. You must report every deal you get, even if someone – and here's the thing. I'm, I'm going to just – a side question to Nathan. Say that someone's favorite player is Antoine Jackson, right? He's like a – third string defensive tackle. He's never get an endorsement, but you just love that guy. And he's leaving a game and you see him and you want his autograph. And you say, Antoine, I just think you're a great player. Can I pay you a hundred bucks for an autograph? Is that okay? In the parking lot. Yeah. I'm a fan. Uh, Here's a hundred bucks. I believe that will be okay. Yeah. Okay. But then Antoine Jackson has to report that, right? He has to put that on his sheet. Okay. Now, again, I, I say I believe that is okay. There, again, in, in the framework of this, they may say, well, this has to be structured a certain way in order for you to get those sorts of deals. Maybe it can't just be anybody on the street. Maybe it has to be through a certain broker. I don't know that. But I believe that would be okay. Maybe, maybe we don't – you can't do it in a parking lot, but you may sell autographs yourself on eBay, and if somebody wants to send you money for that. It's the same thing. Maybe not quite in the parking lot. I can get that right. Again, it's some regulation. You can't do a drug deal in a parking lot, but you can go buy it at a weed store. Same kind of thing. I think if you tell the players you can do all this stuff, you just have to report everything. And if we find out that you did something that you did not report, you're suspended. That's the NCAA violation. Not, it's not the money. It's not reporting it. Just like if you make money and you don't report it on your taxes, you get in trouble. You have to report it. I think that makes it very easy of where would a player break the rule on this. Then 
when the player reports it, and maybe the school can't stay on top of everything as it, as it happens, if the player doesn't report it or doesn't report it truthfully, he's in trouble. When he, if he does report it truthfully and the school goes, you got how much to do what? And then they go check that out and they're like this, whatever the third party is or how they do it, this is not fair market value. This is like a bribe. Then the booster or the company or the donor gets in trouble. And that happens all the time too. You get disassociated. So it's like, well, what would stop? The player's not going to get in trouble for making too much money. But if you're a booster handing out payouts that aren't commensurate with reality, now you're disassociated. You can't buy season tickets. You can't be around players. And that keeps the boosters and the donors in line. Because if the players don't report it, they're in trouble. So they'll be motivated to report it. And if the boosters or donors go over the top and paying it, they're in trouble. And I think that is not hard to execute. Will everybody report everything? No, of course not. Does everybody report every dollar on their taxes? No. But you have a structure in place that I think is reasonable, fair, and somewhat monitorable. Nathan, does that sound like it could work? It does, and because that's somewhat already the world that we live in anyway in terms of athletic departments having compliance. I mean, let's not forget um, – Ohio State turned itself in on Chase Young, correct? That's what they said. According to what we've, yeah. according to what we've been told and, and what they have said, Ohio State turned itself in on Chase Young. I mean, a lot of times that is how these compliance issues come to light. It's from, from self-reporting. So I don't think that's that is not going to change. I mean, it's it's another layer that gets added to it. Maybe athletic departments feel like they have to add compliance personnel to specifically for this. I could see that you know, adding a position or whatever to help you navigate this or just handle the workload. But it, it's not that different than the world we live in, except now that you don't have to worry about Chase Young having to go potentially take an, a, a, an improper loan in order to, to do basic things. Basically, nothing for the player is against the rules as long as you report it. And I think, I think, there's, I think it's very doable. I don't know that. I don't know that that's necessarily true. I think there, there will be guidelines as far there will as be guidelines. Right. But, but again, a lot of it is, I mean, I guess maybe if you know the guidelines, I mean, if they set out guidelines and say, you cannot take more than blank um, for a certain thing, but again, it's going to be, I think you put a lot of it on the businesses have to be on, have to be responsible in some way. Now it's not breaking the law. It's not breaking the law to give somebody money, but you can be banned. So I, th I think there's, I think there are bottom line, if you think that there shouldn't be limitations and regulations, you're not a realist. And if you think that it's impossible to do it, your head's in the sand. There's absolutely a way to do it. The kids can make money. It's not going to cost the schools anything. Again, if people are confused on this, this costs the schools nothing. We had one question about like, well, what's it going to mean? You know, shouldn't all the players make the same thing? And what's it mean? No, I mean, you make what you make as an endorser, it, just like in anything. I mean, it's, it, there's no rules about it has to be fair and equal. And the bottom line, to be clear again, Nathan, there is no group organization on this at the moment because the NCAA wants to make it very clear. They do not want the athletes acting in unison because that's a step towards a union. That's a step towards collective bargaining. That's a step towards player getting a cut of TV revenue and ticket revenue, just like players do in pro sports. So there is no NCAA video game right. because there's no way to collectively get everybody involved. Now, if Justin Fields, maybe there'll be a Justin Fields video game where it's Justin Fields and a bunch of sports writers playing on a video game. But that is what's not going to happen because the NCAA absolutely is going to drag its feet on collective payment for as long as possible because the next step is 
the college football players union and we want a 43% cut of the TV deal. So that people need to understand that, right? right. To be clear, the NCAA is saying that there is no legal, that there are legal hurdles in order in, in terms of having a um, collective bargaining effort for the athletes. That's what the NCAA is saying. In the report that the working group put out, they're saying that the reason why there isn't going to be video games or trading cards or whatever is that that is unworkable in their view. But the reason that that's unworkable in their view, I think, is because of the power that it would potentially give to the student athletes. I think that's the one aspect of this that's going to be challenged maybe first and most aggressively in a legal way is somebody's going to step up and say, well, wait a second, you can have a third party come in and oversee the um, agreements that are being made in order in terms of compliance, but we can't have a third party that helps facilitate these kind of this, this passive income that would help athletes across the board. That doesn't make any sense. I think that's the one part of this I think is going to probably be um, attacked pretty quickly. And I think it's one that there's going to be a lot of public sentiment in favor of, right? I mean, when I put out the tweet yesterday or the text to our subscribers yesterday, immediately a bunch of them were like, what, are you kidding I, me? I can't have I this know. video game. That's what the whole thing was about. I get it. People like yeah. video games. I'm a little sick of yeah. the video game crowd. I get it. You like the video. But, games. but frankly, but that's that's the one that's the one part of this that's going to maybe in some ways affect sports wow. fans most directly because well, they don't I get know. this game that they want, love to they play and they wanted to play. I'm not saying it's I'm not saying it's not nonsense. Red Dead. Get, play the thing with the cowboy on the horse. I don't know what. I'm not. I'm not saying I'm not okay. saying that I'm one of them. I don't have time to play those games, but there are okay. a lot of people who that make that a big part of their hobby, and they want those. And I'm just saying that that's where public sentiment could come back in in the players' favor. I get it. People like video games, fine. But the NCAA, But again, if the NCAA says fine, let's have a lawsuit about this. We're not going to do anything. Let's hold this up in a lawsuit for three and a half years, and then we won't have any name, image, and likeness until 2025. So. That's the next step. This is the in-between step. And if you don't understand that it's a step, that this comes first, then that comes later. The players want it now. The NCAA wants it never. So the result will be it will happen, but on a slow timetable. That's how all this is going to work. We're going to have some fun on the Friday podcast. We've been doing a lot of serious stuff. We appreciate you guys listening. Make sure you are – try the text. I haven't even said the text number, I don't think, so far today. 614-350-3315. You can be part of the podcast. Um, we'll try We'll try to get a little loose in the Friday podcast. Step back, relax a little bit. This is like a law seminar, some of this stuff. And I, and I know it's kind of interesting. It's only still, even to me, it's only kind of interesting. I know to some fans it might not be interesting at all. So we're not going to get bogged down with this going forward. We had to cover it now. We appreciate you guys listening. Drop the reviews on Apple Podcasts. Read cleveland.com slash OSU. This is your Thursday Buckeye Talk. Make sure you listen to our big Wednesday Buckeye Talk. Bowling Green Breakdown. Will Ohio State ever lose to the MAC? And how could Greg Schiano have such a terrible 2018 defense when eight guys off that defense have been drafted already? That's what happened on the Wednesday pod. We'll talk to you on the Friday pod. For Nathan, for Steven, I'm Doug. That was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>